The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, in the spirit of red for Valentine's Day, many of the grains along with cattle were uh, seemingly trying to get in the spirit. We had a sea of red across much of the board at midweek on Wednesday. We're going to talk about all that and more coming up here today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Happy to be here with you as we take a look at what's moving in the markets and issues impacting rural America. And uh, for many folks, they were not loving what they were seeing on the board on Wednesday as that sea of red really creeped into the market in the overnight session and continued into the day session on Wednesday with wheat, the initial downside leader, soybeans, though, finding a little more spillover pressure as well, and corn, too, as we uh, got down, set some new contract lows in uh, pretty much uh, all of these markets, uh, almost, especially on the corn side, that March corn getting down to some of those uh, price targets around that 420 mark in front month corn. Just not a great day overall. Lack of fresh headlines to really drive the markets and the trade just took the path of least resistance to the downside. Wheat, of course, uh, continuing to battle with cheap Russian values, cheap Ukrainian wheat as well as they've been able to export out of the western half of the Black Sea here. And that's something that has been in the back burner of the trade. South America weather remains neutral to bearish to the markets and Overall, just uh, no good news to really drive the trade on Wednesday, and we pushed lower. We're going to talk about it. What does all of this mean? Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, is going to provide his perspective on the trade action midweek. Look forward to catching up with Mike. We missed him last week, so happy to get him back on the show here today and give us his thoughts of what we're seeing in the market trade. Also, we're going to take a look at some news headlines coming up here before we wrap up the program today. i got some different things we are watching throughout agriculture. We'll look at uh, retail fertilizer prices and more. Also, maybe give a little preview of where we're going to be tomorrow. We're going to be at the National Farm Machinery Show with our friends at Gehringhoff, and we're going to be talking to them about uh, what new products they have on site there at the National Farm Machinery Show and more. Looking forward to that program coming up tomorrow. We'll give you a little preview at the end of the show today. All right, first up, let's get some market analysis, though, from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen uh, around midday on Wednesday, got his thoughts, uh, what's going on with the grain and livestock trade. We saw pressure in cattle. Hogs had a decent day, though, on Wednesday. But again, commodity deflation continued to be the overall theme, it seemed, in the grain and oilseed trade. And that is where we started our conversation with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex, talking about the down day in grains and commodity deflation continuing to be the theme. Yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, there's a saying in among traders that the trend is your friend. In other words, trade a trend until something changes it. And particularly with the algos now, the computers that put trades in automatically, that's one of the ways that they operate. And nothing has changed a trend. And so corn, soybeans, and wheat all making new lows for the move overnight and corn making new three-year lows. Wheat, Kansas City and Minneapolis wheat making over two and a half year lows. 
And, and so they're just continuing the trend. The strong dollar is part of it. Now, the dollar is pulling back a little bit in a correction of yesterday's big move, but still we're seeing higher or seeing interest rates staying high for longer means continue this commodity deflation mode. And fundamentally, there's nothing to change that, to force a change. As you said, with wheat, which is leading the way today, it's really about cheap black sea wheat undercutting the rest of the world market. And therefore, to compete, particularly with a strong dollar, we have to go lower. Well, I know as well, we think about that dollar and the uh, data that we saw on the economy yesterday, that really had an impact on the stock market. Uh, Getting a little bit of a recovery bounce here today, but uh, man, oh man, the Dow futures and more were just hammered on Wednesday uh, afternoon as the day kind of progressed along, weren't they? Or excuse me, on Tuesday afternoon, I mean, Arlen. Yeah, and I'd have to call it a recovery bounce at this point as we look at this. And you look at that inflation data yesterday, second month in a row that it was higher than expected. And you look at how it was made up and what made up the the strength. It actually happened with some pretty significant losses in energy prices. So now with, and that was for the month of January and February, we're seeing those energy prices rebound. So what is next week month's data looking back at this month going to look at? And that has Wall Street concerns. So I think this is a bounce right now that we're seeing in the market. When you look at shelter costs, when you look at wage inflation, when you look at food costs rising, um, and transportation costs, um, really the service sector seeing a lot of um rejuvenated um, inflationary pressures at a time when energy prices could go continue to move higher with geopolitical risk. And that has Wall Street concerned. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing weakness in the commodities. As we take a look over at the livestock trade, hogs finding some decent strength. Have to think uh, that higher uh, cutout value on Tuesday has got to be helping a little bit. Well, meantime, triple digit losses in the cattle trade. So kind of a tale of two different markets here today on the board. Yeah, we're really slowing the chain speed with the packer margins really getting compressed and now uh, with these higher cash cattle prices. Um, and so that's putting downward pressure on demand for cattle, whereas people moving down the value chain to pork, giving us good demand for pork and helping support those prices. Um, and so we're reflecting that as we look at uh, the lean hog futures this morning. And once again, that is comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for midday commentary on the day Wednesday. Always great to uh, talk with Arlen and get his thoughts and perspective as to what's going on in the trade. Well, again, uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, the 2022 Census of Agriculture released by USDA this week, and it's a bit of a wake-up call. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says some of the results were concerning, especially the number of farms and total amount of farmland across America. In 2017, when we did the survey, there were 2,042,220 farms. Today, the survey reports we have 1,900,487 farms. So doing a little quick math, that's 142,000 fewer farms in five years. The survey tells us that in 2017, we had well a little over 900 million acres of land and farming. Five years later, we have 880 million acres. So we've lost 20 million acres. He put the number of acres into perspective. That's every New England state, with the exception of Connecticut, in five years. I want to give you a sense of how many farms that is. I've been focusing on this issue for the last 
four or five months because I ran across a report done by Secretary of Agriculture Bob Berglund in 1981. He was expressing concern about the direction of agriculture because we had changed the method of support, a direction of support for American agriculture. Well, if you look at the number of farms that were in existence when he issued that warning and compare it to today, we've lost 535,000 farms. Now that's every farm today in the following states. In North Dakota and South Dakota, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, in Illinois and Iowa, in Nebraska and Oklahoma and Missouri and Colorado. And once again, that is comments with USDA Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, who does say the 22 census of agriculture is a wake-up call and that the survey is essentially asking the critical question of whether, as a country, are we okay with losing that many farms? Are we okay with losing that much farmland, or is there a better way? Interesting thoughts there from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at markets with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics on the way here on Market Talk. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. Well, let's take a look at the market trade action on Wednesday. Not a great day across the grain and oil seed trade with soybeans, wheat futures, seeing double-digit losses. We set some new contract lows in front-month corn and in some of the wheat contracts. We got a lot to take a look at. Joining us for market analysis today... Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, always good to talk with you. And, um, you know, I wore my red for, I thought, Valentine's Day on Wednesday. But it, apparently it was for the markets, too, because, man, oh, man, just not a great way uh, to um, end up midweek trade on Wednesday with the way the market action was, Mike. Well, and to continue that type of metaphor, I don't have any blood left for the market to suck out of me, so I'm just completely <laughs> brown at this point, Jesse. <laughs> uh, I think we could come up with a few more metaphors, but we <laughs> dive into the nitty-gritty of this and, and try to make sense of it, Mike. Uh, man, just I think this overall feeling of commodity deflation kind of mindset lack of news path of least resistance to the downside there i go there i'm throwing a bunch more metaphors at you but just not a great trade action at midweek really across the grain sector mike yeah all appropriate metaphors it, it's there's one thing that's very very clear um wheat still leads this market unfortunately <clears throat> the wheat let us lower I have been nervous about this type of price action ever since last week's WASDI report because if the wheat wasn't going to turn the market, I didn't feel like anything could. You know, we don't have any mindset whatsoever right now, Jesse, heading into the Agricultural Outlook Forum, which starts bright and early tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Central Time. That's when we'll get those fresh numbers, those fresh projections for the baseline from USDA, but we have no sense of the idea that U.S. wheat ending stocks are the second lowest since 2014 
and that world wheat stocks to use ratios are the lowest since 2014. So the only thing that makes sense to me is, is that the wheat is still leading this market and it's got to be the one to bottom first in a, in a long-term mindset. What's also, I guess, maybe more clear at this point is the idea that we have lost the weather market in the trades mind for South America. And those are the only two things that really can make some sense out of this trade today. Well, let's set this up. We got some different charts to look at on our video feed here today that you've provided. And, and you and I have talked a lot about the Bloomberg uh, Grain Index. So let's just start there to set up our discussion. What are some things you're seeing right now on the Bloomberg Index, Mike? Yeah, like the crude oil and the wheat market, soft red wheat especially, it is an excellent and has been an excellent indicator and warning flag for um, wedge breakouts or wedge breakdowns. And, you know, back in December, this market it was at its point. January opened us up to the downside. And you really had to have a couple things change in order for this market to turn back higher with that kind of momentum starting out in the downside. Those two major things, you nailed one of them, the deflation mindset. And those two, and those, that deflation mindset in the trade is hinged upon the Chinese situation and the Federal Reserve situation. So we got the WASDI numbers. They did not help us out of the hole. We came into February with those WASDI numbers, and then we got the CPI numbers just uh, this earlier this week on Tuesday. Those did not help the trade because the trade started to think that because inflation was running hotter than trade expectations, the Fed would not want to cut rates anytime soon. That opened us up even more of the downside. So <clears throat> that to me helps explain why we broke to the downside in this wedge. What I will say though, at that 40 point level, that 40 uh, flat line um, that I've got there in white, Jesse, that's a really good long-term support or resistance level. And since we've broken through that, uh, typically what we can expect, I think, is about a 10, maybe a 12% decline in prices. Well, from you know 90% of 40 is right around 36. And so we closed right around 36.40 today. I think we're very close to making an initial stop in this, in this price action in terms of breaking it to the downside. So that's what I'm watching for. And, and what we're at a point here in this chart, along with a bunch of other charts like the corn, like as you say, making new contract lows, now corn and beans down to their lowest level since December of 2020. You're at points now, I think, where you have to feed the bear to take this market lower. So that's what USDA's ag outlook numbers are all about to me uh, Thursday and Friday. Well, feeding the bear, that's not something that a lot of folks want to hear, but it, I would agree with you. It is true. And you mentioned in the open South American weather. I want to touch on that real quick. Uh, you got a couple maps here. Cordoba, this is the first one we're going to pull up. And we've got Montegrosso as well. You know, it seems like South American weather is really neutral to bearish still in these markets, fairly benign. They're getting rain. Things are progressing. Yeah, that Brazil soybean crop might be a bit lower than the USDA estimates right now, but overall, things looking pretty good in South America, Mike. 
they're looking a lot better and it's taking the pressure off of USDA to have to cut dramatically in February now, at least in the trades mindset. And if you still have a deflationary weak demand mindset in the trade, especially ahead of a big USDA report, why would you want to be long in this market? And I think that psychology, that trade psychology, coupled with the fact that both Russia and the European Union through France both came out today and put more supply in corn and wheat on the table by some of their updated numbers. And this, along with the supply side, is the weather side. And the supply side and weather are one and the same. So when you see, uh, for instance, as you say, Cordoba, Argentina here, going from one of the lowest root zone soil moisture levels that we've seen in the last seven to 10 years to one of the highest in the last two weeks, that takes the pressure off the trade to worry about having a weather bowl is get established here as we get ready for pollination and pod fill in Argentina's crop belt. There's still areas of problems, but it's not not it's nothing compared to what it was. I don't think Jesse two weeks ago, or to equate it to what we saw last year. The, to Argentina, the rains they just received in most of their crop belt was kind of like what we got last year in late June, and it saved us from having another 2012. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true. I flip maps here on the video feed, Mato Grosso. You know, I, I look at Brazil's forecast and uh, sounding like they're going to have pretty widespread rain coverage here this weekend that I think is just going to add to things there, Mike. Yeah, and this is where I would keep my attention very focused in terms of the second crop corn. I'm already hearing people say second crop corn is going up because acreage pace is so strong right now. They've gotten the initial rains they've needed, and they're pulling beans off, putting corn in very quickly, if not one of the fastest levels in 10 years. Um, this is one of those uh, the areas, though, that they can turn off very quickly, hot and dry uh, after the month of February heading into March. You can see by this map that the, the root zone soil moisture is back in the middle of the range of the last five to seven years, Jesse. We're nowhere near where we were uh, in terms of the higher elevations of moisture to give us a big, big uh, safrina corn crop. And Right now, most of the trade is putting the safrina crop at 80% of the total for Brazil as a whole. So you have three crops planted in, in corn in Brazil nowadays, but 80% of it is going to be that second safrina corn crop. So I'll keep my eye on that weather you were talking about for next week because we could still lose bushels, especially in the corn for the Brazilian crop. Very, very true. And you brought this up, too, with the Ag Outlook Forum. And I just want to talk about that a little bit uh, real quick. I mean, you know, unless USDA surprises, I feel like whatever we're going to see Thursday is going to be bearish to this grain trade. Wouldn't you say, Mike? I think they've priced that in. And that's what I meant earlier. And thanks for the clarification and putting okay. the point on it is I think you are at a point where you have to feed the bear, so to speak. And, and what that means is you've got to keep rolling out negative price news to be able to keep this type of price action, especially what we saw on Wednesday with there was no balance whatsoever or, or punch back by the longs at all, Jesse. I, I think the other thing that really concerns me about the baseline numbers and the ag outlook is they fuse those two together. And so Thursday, you'll get a set of numbers. Then Friday, you'll get a whole nother set of numbers. And so we're going to have this massive data dump. And we saw on Wednesday's trade, look, this headline news is really taking hold 
of these prices and continue to, you know, for the better part of nine months, because the perception is we don't have any good demand. My biggest hope coming out of the Agricultural Outlook meeting Friday afternoon is that the USDA changes some minds and some hearts on the negative demand mindset that we have built up in the grain complex here the last six months, especially because the last numbers we saw on the WASDE report was that we're still running a, a world record for wheat consumption globally and corn consumption globally going all the way back to 1960. But that's getting lost in translation in a big, big way. Well, once again, having a great conversation so far with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. We will continue on the way right after the break here on Market Talk. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are joined today by Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics here on Market Talk. And uh, Mike, let's stay on the grains real quick. Uh, I want to look at a couple more charts you sent over. You know, we mentioned we set uh, some new contract lows in front month corn, for instance, on Wednesday. Uh, and uh, looking at this corn market and looking at charts here, this is a December corn historical you sent me. Uh, just uh, talk to me a little bit more about some of this chart action that you're seeing in corn and and what your thoughts are here right now. Yeah, this really ties together with what we were just talking about. The other big thing, obviously, is the corn and bean acreage number for 24-25. And, you know, trade estimates are 91.6 on corn and 86.7 on beans. I am almost the exact opposite. I'm following more of a 2016-2017 pattern where we're rotating back into beans. The bean-corn ratio suggests we're picking up <clears throat> bean acres. And so I'm at 90.3 on corn, which would be the very low end of the trade estimates. And I'm an 88.2 on soybeans, which would be just above the highest trade guess. I'm not that far from where USDA was back in November. They were at 91 on corn and 87. And so keeping those numbers in mind, those are our benchmarks. So let's look at what the trade's doing right now in terms of new crop corn and beans heading into these numbers. And you can see we're trading very closely and it's really neat to see this in the soybeans in the next one too. But for the corn right now, you see how closely we're trading with 2015 and 2021 in terms of actual price action. And we went into kind of the doldrums um, and, and gained a little bit as we got into March of uh, 2015, especially and 2021. But it's really 2009 that I'm looking at here, Jesse. If we keep this current trend up, it makes a lot of sense that by the time we get to 
the 1st of March, we will have put in a major low and that that low probably would be the low until we get safely planted. And that's what I'm starting to really define. And I'll feel a lot better about suggesting that to clients and subscribers after we see the ag, num ag form numbers. Well, piggybacking off of that, you mentioned soybeans, and we got that chart as well. And uh, to your point, yeah, getting to see how some of this is lining up, kind of looking at history a little bit here to at least give us some some cues to think about here in these markets, I think is is definitely a big key here in this window, Mike. Yeah, you know, we're like two generative AI neural networks right now, Jesse, trying to figure out the markets, only doing it with two simple brains. And so that's kind of the neat thing about it. But here again, you've got the Nove Beans looking a lot like 2021 in price action now. We've come down as the, as the 21 was coming up during this same time period. And if you look at the price action since the 1st of December in our current 24 soybeans, it's looking more and more like either last year or uh, looking a lot like 2009. And we kind of had the same type of price action. We had a 1st of March low in 2009 in Nove Beans, and then we tried to check that once we got planted. But you notice in that contract in the beans and the corn to a lesser degree, we held those support levels and we had a nice genuine, genuine uh, incline, smooth incline higher. We got demand back in 2009. And I think that's what I'm really looking for here for the trade sentiment to shift is I don't think we need to be like 2015 through 2020 in terms of deflation and really bad price action the next four years. I actually think we could be still putting in a demand low. All right, Mike, let's go over to livestock. I want to spend some time here with you as well, and I'll keep the chart theme going. One more on our video feed looking at uh, cattle and, you know, really rough day in Cattle Wednesday. I've seen the theory kind of floated out there on the day Wednesday that those hotter than expected CPI numbers, consumer price index data out Tuesday was maybe having something to do with some of the price pressure in cattle on Wednesday. So maybe your thoughts about that and walk us through what you're seeing on this chart right now. Yes, I think that's exactly right. The, the spread trade was very active. You, and we can talk about hogs in a little bit here because of some commentary that the Secretary of Agriculture talked about on Prop 12. But I think the spreads were part of it. I think the other part of it was the USTA Ag Forum coming out because we'll get fresh numbers on that as well. Um, but I think you're right, probably over 50 percent or right around 50 percent was probably the idea that the CPI was really highlighted with the beef prices and steak prices being so much higher than last year at this time. I want to say they're upwards of nine or 10 percent higher than they were a year ago, year over year um, for the month of January. And, and I know Wall Street Journal did an article on that. I think it got a lot of media attention, um, housing, rents, food, specifically meat prices and, 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 and drink prices. Um, were really talked about a lot in the trade. And I think that caused some consternation probably by the funds. Like the corn and beans, Jesse, only flipped upside down. I think the cattle market after the explosive move last week and coming into the first of this week, we needed to feed the bull instead of feed the bear. And I don't think we really did that. We didn't do that as much in Oklahoma City with their auction kind of flattening out. Um, and we got a couple other things that I think really kind of 
brought in the idea, if you were a fund, why not take some money off the table, especially with USDA right around the corner. So that's where this chart comes into play, especially. I, I love this chart because I finally got a decent cash relationship with futures, and that's through the negotiated cash cattle market. We saw that $4 higher price action in the cash market last week. It then took us to 182. That said to the futures market, you've, we've got your back and we, you can go on up. The futures did go on up, but then what we talked about, I think, came in to play. And now we're testing a really key trend line support that goes back to early January. And simply put, now that we filled the gap that's back there in early November, if we take that support line out after these uh, agricultural outlook numbers are digested by Friday afternoon, I need to get some hedges in place. This is really profitable areas, especially in the back end feeders and, and these front end fat cattle markets. Great thoughts and, and synopsis there, this cattle market. And, I, and I'll throw this with you as well. I mean, you know, thinking of last week, you know, Packers had to pay up some of those cash prices. I mean, four to $10 higher, I think, at some spots. I mean, just watching that cash trade, I know a lot of Packers groaning coming into this week, saying, you know, hoping they wouldn't have to pay that again. But to your point, depending on what we get from USDA, feels like this cattle market's got some good profitability in this window right now, Mike. Yeah, and the weights are really critical here, as is the Lent and seasonal. And I think this also helped the hog market out today, too, now that we're at Ash Wednesday. Yeah, we're going to go flatline on meat consumption because of the religious side of the Lent and seasonal. But we're also going to get ramped up for the hams and we're going to get ramped up for the pork. And I think you made a huge point just now not to be overlooked, and that is the, the cutout. Um, is, is really turning these packer margins deep in the red for beef at this point. And yet the pork is staying very healthy, especially given the price action that we've seen in the, in the futures and in the cash market. So only thing I'd watch out for in the hog complex is the return of China after the Lunar New Year and the Feb going off the board here in the next two days. And you mentioned, too, with hogs, that spread trade, and you mentioned some comments from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack on Prop 12s. And so I think I think that, too, was, like you said, an added catalyst to give that hog market a little strength on Wednesday. Yeah, and I would say to the listener out there right now, in the same vein as with Secretary Vilsack using the word chaos if the Congress didn't step in, I've also noticed that the people that regulate me, the CFTC, is now doing – a, a public comment period for artificial intelligence impacts on commodities. I think this is something to really watch because if we start to see the, the Washington and Capitol Hill get involved in AI, we may see some shifting around of some of these algo fund traders. And we've seen this before where Washington policy can really drive price action if it starts to get embedded. So I'm certainly on the lookout for that. And I certainly welcome that type of public comment um, because I think of that disconnect uh, in the futures versus the cash is, is getting to be sometimes unexplainable to the producers out there. And and, and 24 is looking really rough for producers in the grains right now. That's an interesting rabbit hole that I think we can explore on another program, Mike. Uh, but as always, appreciate your time. Let's wrap it up. If folks want to reach out to you, take a look at all your great analysis, have a conversation. I know they could find you very easily. How can they get in touch? Yeah, globalcomresearch.com is the best place to go. I have a toll-free 866-471-2588 as well if you're not big into the web. But most of our electronic stuff 
is uh, is really utilized heavily. So globalcomresearch.com, globalcom with two M's. Mike, always appreciate your thoughts and expertise. Thanks for joining us this week. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Let's hope we're wearing green, both of us next week, Jesse. I will plan on it. I'm going to manifest it. That is for sure. <laughs> Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joining us here today on Market Talk. Again, you can find him online, as he said, globalcom with two M's, research.com. That is globalcom with two M's, research.com. Few of the closes from Wednesday's trade, real quick March corn down six and a half, 424 to quarter. December new crop corn down five and a half, 464 to quarter. March beans down 15 and three quarters, 1170 and a half. New crop November soybeans were down 10 and a quarter, 1155. Bean meal, bean oil down slightly. Chicago wheat, March down 12, 585 and a half. July down 13 and a half, 584 and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat down six and three quarters, 587 and three quarters. July down nine and three quarters at 576. Over in spring wheat, March down nine and a quarter, 662 and a half. July down nine and a quarter, 668 and three quarters. In the livestock trade, live cattle February down 135, 182.40. April down 110 at 184 even. Feeder cattle for March down 177, 246.22. April down 215 at 249.60. February hogs up 95, 75.17. April lean hogs up 345 at 84.52. That is a recap of some of the closes from Wednesday's market action. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, we are going to take a look at news headlines before we wrap up our program today. We'll be back with more here on Market Talk on the way right after the break. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here today. Always good to catch up with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics and get his thoughts as to what is happening in the market trade. Appreciate his time and insight. Well, of course, uh, we continue to follow the dicamba situation. A ruling by a federal district court in Arizona has vacated the registration for over-the-top applications of dicamba on dicamba-tolerant soybeans and cotton. The ruling says the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency unlawfully approved the use of Bayer's Extendamax, BASF's Ingenia, and Syngenta's Tavium by failing to follow notice and comment mandates for the products. South Dakota Secretary of the Department of Agriculture and Natural Resources, Hunter Roberts, says there aren't comparable alternatives to the dicamba products. As far as over-the-top application, there's no technology out there that's the same as dicamba. There's definitely other chemical technologies that, that work. They just work a little different, and they're widely used across the state, just not, not this technology, I guess. What I've been told and producers have shared with me is that dicamba is very good at ma- maintaining or eliminating kosher weeds when you get in the western side of the soybean 
growing region of South Dakota, it's kosher is a bigger problem. Dicamba has been very successful at holding holding that kosher expansion back. Additionally, you know, it's just one more tool that our growers have that now could be off the table for 2024 and going forward. That's, you know, a big concern. As we look at weeds getting uh, more tolerant to different types of traits, this is one tool that might be out of the toolbox of our producers. Robert says regulators don't yet know if farmers or commercial applicators will be able to use the stocks they already have on hand this spring. The department's perspective is South Dakota soybean producers may not be able to use the three products that were once registered for use to make applications, over-the-top applications of the dicamba-tolerant soybeans. So the department, along with other state departments in ag, are, are working hard to encourage EPA to allow use of existing stocks. Uh, as many of our producers have already made purchases for the 2024 growing season, so they would be able, if EPA approved that, utilize uh, what they have in stock for the 2024 growing season and, you know, before they make their purchases in 2025 would have to have to figure out what they're going to do. Robert says when EPA may issue their decision on whether or not the already on hand stocks of dicamba products will be able to be used this spring is currently a question without an answer. We don't know what EPA's timeline is. And then when you throw the federal courts into it as well, it's it's tough to, to guess what that will be. Obviously, the departments are advocating for as soon as possible. And, you know, the department will continue to keep the ag industry in South Dakota updated on any changes we hear for the registration of those products or, or if they will be available for existing stocks for the 2024 growing season. And North Dakota Agriculture Commissioner Doug Goring calls the federal court decision a crushing blow to farmers across the country. He says many producers have made planting decisions for 2024, and this ruling will be very disruptive. Groups such as the Ag Retailers Association, American Farm Bureau Federation, and the American Soybean Association disagree with the decision, noting the determination should be made by a science-based regulatory agency. Now, as they wait for the EPA's decision on current supplies of dicamba products, Bayer, BASF, and Syngenta are all exploring possible next steps that they can take. Again, this is an issue that we're going to have to watch closely, and there is precedent for the EPA to allow farmers to use existing dicamba stocks after that federal court ruling that vacated the registration of dicamba products. American Farm Bureau's John Walt Boatwright says an earlier EPA existing stocks order gives AFBF hope the agency will again greenlight such use of dicamba on soybeans and cotton. Back in 2020, a, a court also handed down a, a vacature of certain dicamba products, and EPA released uh, an existing stocks order within, I believe, uh, five or six days. And Boatwright adds that the dicamba products are critical in fighting resistant weeds and that many farmers have spent millions of dollars, some of it borrowed, on dicamba and resistant seeds already for the 2024 growing season. It's critical for our farmers and ranchers around the country who, who utilize this and expected made purchasing decisions and business decisions based on the fact that they would have dicamba ready to go. That's the real problem here is that folks have already made business decisions and, and now potentially uh, to be able to not use that product is, is going to be a major, major issue. And once again, that's comments with American Farm Bureau's John Walt Boatwright. We'll continue to follow the dicamba situation and see how things play out with the courts and EPA as we continue towards the 2024 growing season. 
Well, grocery prices increased slightly last month, according to the latest Consumer Price Index released on Tuesday. The Consumer Price Index for all urban consumers increased 0.3% in January on a seasonally adjusted basis after rising 0.2% in December. Over the last 12 months, the All Items Index increased 3.1%. The Food Index rose 0.4% in January, and the Food at Home Index also increased 0.4% over the month. Four of the six major grocery store food group indexes increased over the month. The food away from home index rose 0.5% in January. The index for full service meals rose 0.4% and the index for limited service meals increased 0.6% over the month. The food at home index rose 1.2% over the last 12 months, while the index for food away from home rose 5.1% over the last year. An average retail price moves were evenly mixed for the eight major fertilizers in the second week of February, according to sellers surveyed by DTN. Breaking a streak of six straight weeks when most fertilizer prices declined, prices for half of the eight major fertilizers were slightly lower than the last month, while prices for the other half were slightly higher. Now, for the third week in a row, no fertilizer price was up or down substantially. Like we've seen in recent weeks, DTN designates a significant move as anything 5% or more. Prices for four fertilizers were down just slightly from the previous month. Potash had an average price of $508 per ton, and Hydrus at $773 a ton, UAN-28 at $335 a ton, and UAN-32 at $390 a ton. Prices for the remaining four fertilizers, meantime, were just slightly higher. DAP had an average price of $736 a ton, MAP at $809 a ton, Urea at $528 a ton, and 1034-0 at $610 a ton. On a price per pound of nitrogen basis, the average urea price was at 57 cents a pound and hydrous at 47 cents a pound, UAN 28 at 60 cents a pound, and UAN 32 at 61 cents a pound. That according to the latest retail survey by DTN. Well, with that, we're out of time. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to be at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. Spend the time with our friends at Gearinghoff. We're going to learn more about their adaptive flex technology, as well as some of their residue management systems and more. Looking forward to a great show tomorrow in Louisville. Thanks for listening to Market Talk. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great one. We'll talk to you coming up tomorrow. <laughs>